following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Yes, and back in the 1400s, a king, uh, King uh, Dry uh, Lope, uh, who was king uh, reigning during that time, decided everybody needed to be ranked by a number, right? So he developed this very elaborate system, and it's called the Sakdina, which uh, literally translated means the field of prestige. And the, the number ranked you in your order, so when you would meet somebody, you would have your number, and you would know right away where you fit uh, in this hierarchy. And... Um, the number also related to the maximum amount of land that you could own. So if your number was five, it, it meant you could own five, up to five rye of land, and that was the limit. So you were very much locked in to uh, how far you could go based on this number. And so, so he developed this system, and it was super elaborate, apparently. I didn't read the whole thing, but it was super elaborate. And just to give you an idea kind of how it worked, slaves were ranked at five, so they were kind of on the bottom five. They had the number five. Uh, up from them were kind of everyday Buddhist monks, housewives, and Chinese merchants. <laughs> okay, uh, they were given the number 25. Then uh, from there you had craftsmen who were employed in government service. Not just any craftsman, but a craftsman employed in government service. They got a number of 50. And then you move up to the lowest level government officials who would range anywhere from 50 to 400. Can I keep this, keep this scale in mind? Like there's... Slaves are five. We're already up to 400, right? So that kind of gives you an idea, but it gets worse. Uh, uh, beginning at 400, you moved into the ranks of, of bureaucracy, uh, bureaucratic nobility, right? So from about 400 up to 10,000 were, were people in that group, right? Then you get to 10,000 and you, you get to the highest ministers of state uh, who had that number, and then from there, it jumps to the highest levels of the nobility, junior members of the royal family, princes, you know, royal people. They went from 10,000 to 100,000, right? And so the heir to the throne was 100,000. Of course, the king was, you know, off the charts. He, he didn't even get a number. But um, So imagine if you live in this world where some people are ranked at 100,000 and you're ranked at five. Like, I think this would be cool for church. We should do this. You, know, you walk in the door, oh, you're a seven, I'm an eight, right? Oh, he's a 10,000, right? Wow. Okay, uh, just imagine how that works. So today, you know, we're going to have our pig roast. Those who have the biggest number get front line. The rest of you get fall behind, right? So let's make sure we get everybody in the right order. Um, what's really interesting about the, um, the system of King Drylope, uh, uh, is that, um, that that was a long time ago, and obviously they don't have that system in place anymore. But a modern Thai writer wrote this about, about this, the importance of rank and status. Okay? This is what they write. The grading or ranking of status in social interactions is necessary because without such knowledge as to who is superior and who is inferior... It is difficult to carry on meaningful social interactions. Interesting, right? Interesting. Uh, you can't really relate to one another unless you know who's superior and who's inferior. Right? Now, of course, those of us from more Western democratic societies are just kind of horrified by this, right? We're like, what? 
Like, that's, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. But the truth is, in every culture, uh, there, there, uh, we do this, right? That Thailand does it maybe more in your face or more in a more uh, structured way. Um, but the same is true for all of us. Uh, age, education, wealth, ethnic background, um, uh, our, our success, our level of popularity or power education, all those things uh, can make us feel like we are superior, we're upgraded from others. And people without the same level of education or wealth or opportunity we may look down on as being inferior. Uh, or in today's world, maybe it has to do with things like the number of likes on Facebook, the number of views of your video channel, or the number of followers on Instagram uh, upgrade you in the, in the, in the social order. Um, if you don't believe this is true, here's an example out of, out of my real life from when I was in, in high school. I worked at this Bible camp, and uh, I, I, I didn't get paid. I mean, it was, I was serving there. Was, I, went, I worked there to serve God. And um, and loved it, loved serving there, and learned a lot of good stuff. But the assistant director had these minions. I was one of his minions. And he had this group of uh, mostly high school boys who would follow him around and, and do all of his bidding. And, uh, and there, was this, there was this hierarchy among us. And uh, we, we wanted to know who had more rank than the other. And the way we knew was by the number of keys we had on our keychain. Because like there were all kinds of locks and buildings and doors all over the camp, you know, dozens and dozens of buildings, all with their own key. And so the more keys you had, the more access you had to different buildings and places. And so the more important you were, like the more rank you had. So we would compare each other's keychains, and if somebody got more keys, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd be so frustrated. How could he get more keys than me? Right? I'm clearly more important. Well, see, it happens, right? We do this, right? We do this. In our thinking, we want to know that we are more important than somebody, right? And we recognize that there are those who are more important than us. And we want to be on top of the food chain. We want to be at the top of the pecking order. And even at camp, I wanted to be on the top of the pecking order in my voluntary service to God, right? I wanted to be better than everybody else in my serving God. Right. Well, uh, this is important to us, and it's how uh, a lot of what motivates and drives us, because we, we, we are hoping to get something from our status, from our position, from our rank, compared to others. Uh, we feel that if I have a higher rank, it makes me more important. If I have more keys, I must be more needed. Right? I must be more trustworthy, so I must somehow be better than somebody with less keys or less status. Um, it gives us a sense of worth, right? We can uh, determine our value uh, to the world and to ourselves based on how we rank. Uh, you know, if you're getting a number, if I've got, if, I've, if my number is 87,000 and yours is only five, I must be worth more than you, right? Um, it, it's a way that we get admiration, and uh, we, even as the church, even as Christians, will see, we, we, we glorify, we, we have those, right, who have uh, in our eyes more status, more rank, more influence. Right? 
uh, more admiration. And of course, in the end, all of these things combine to give us more power or influence. And a lot of people want that, that status because it gives them power to get what they want by controlling others or by, um, uh, by getting them to follow us and do what we want. Uh, and you see that works very much in, in, in Thai society. I was at a prison uh, this last week in Bangkok, a ministry that works with prisoners. And one of the guys there was sharing his testimony of how he came to Christ. And he said uh, he had been to jail, I think, five or six times. And he said he never once went to jail for crimes that he committed. Now, he committed crimes, but he never was convicted on any crimes that he did. He said every single time he went to jail for his boss his crime boss, right? Because he owed them, right? They took care of him, and so what he had to do for them was he had to take their punishment. There's a good redemptive analogy there, actually, but it's sad. It's how it works, right? Now, uh, uh, so, so the disciples come to Jesus, and um, they, they ask what seems to them like a very logical question. So in, in verse 1, it says, At that time, Uh, uh, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's interesting, they use present tense verb here. They're not not asking who's going to be greatest in the future kingdom. Their understanding is that they're talking about Jesus' already present kingdom. Jesus is the king, he's come, he's setting up a kingdom in which Jesus has power, in which Jesus rules, in which Jesus is setting up a community or a people who follow him. And in this community or in this group of people who are Jesus' followers, the disciples recognize opportunity here to, uh, to upgrade themselves, right? Like somebody has to be at the top. And we want to know what do we need to do to get there, right? This seems like a very logical question. Somebody's got to be up at the top. Somebody's got to be Jesus' right-hand man, who's worth that 100,000 points, you know, heir to the throne. And, um, like, do we have a shot at this? What can we do to upgrade ourselves, right? And it seems to them like a very uh, logical question. And so in this kingdom, this present reality, uh, the kingdom uh, is about its purposes, its values, and its priorities, and it's about its submission to the king. And the the truth is that we all, if we are in Christ, are in the the kingdom now in that sense, right? We come under its values and priorities. Uh, We come under its uh, submission to its king. Um, And so we could really ask the same question, right? How do I upgrade myself in the church, right? How do I get more status in the church? And it it kind of would look like we do this, right? Uh, it, It would appear that in the church we do have rank and status. I mean, after all, there's the pastor. And the pastor is not, always, he's not just the pastor. We oftentimes give him titles like the head pastor. Like if being pastor's not enough, we've got to make sure he's the head pastor or the lead pastor or my favorite, the senior pastor, which means I'm just an old guy, right? Uh, if that's what I am. Right? We've got those titles, right? And then, there's, of course, there's the executive pastor, like the CEO guy of the church, right? Uh, he can't be the, the top guy, but he's like way up there, executive pastor. And then, of course, you've got other, other kinds of pastors, youth pastors and visitation pastors or assistant pastors. Then you've got the board of elders, and you have staff and deacons, and you have directors of programs. 
Some churches even have bishops, right? And, and, and higher, up, higher up people. And of course, then there's the, the rank of missionary. Like, they're kind of like above all of that. They, you know, because they are just the most special people, right? They're so special we had to send them away. Because <laughs> they couldn't be with us, right? Because they're so high in their rank. Right? Um, so, so it seems like a, it seems like a legitimate question. Like, um, how do we, how do we upgrade ourselves? How do we increase our rank or our status? And, um, uh, and when you look at the church, it would appear that you become greater and gain rank by your serving, your level of service in the church. Like if you don't serve at all, you're a five, maybe a four, right? If you serve in the, in the, in the preschool nursery with the two and three year olds, we'll give you a seven, right? If you're an elder, I mean, you're, you're up in the hundreds for sure, maybe the thousands. And, and senior pastor, I'm going for that hundred thousand, right? Uh, is that how it really works? Is that how it's supposed to work in the church or in God's kingdom? Um, is ambition wrong if it's for a worthy goal, right? Well, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus answers our question, right? And he does it with a, um, a very uh, real-life object lesson. Uh, he says he calls a child to him, and he puts the child in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's pretty serious words here. And, and um, Jesus says, you, you've got to turn from that path of thinking. You have to radically change your mind because that kind of thinking has no place in God's kingdom. He says, it's so foreign to the kingdom of God that if you don't turn away from that kind of thinking, you can't even get in the kingdom. You won't even qualify, much less have rank. Right? You won't even be there if you have that mindset or that mentality because it's so foreign and strange to uh, the way it works in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. He says, you must turn. Uh, it's, it's a word that could mean repentance. It's this idea of a complete change of direction. Right, so you're, you're rejecting completely that kind of thinking and you're making a radical turn and you are changing your thinking about this whole thing about status and rank and hierarchy in society. Um, so how do we do that? He says there's two, two, two important ways that we need to radically change our thinking. And the first is that we actually become like children. Right? Uh, so he has this child there and this child... Uh, is a young child. It doesn't say how old, but uh, for, for the sake of, of us helping visualize this, because for Jesus it was very visual. I mean, he actually didn't say, imagine a child. He grabbed a child. He said to some kid, come over here, and I would grab a, a, a five-year-old, but they're all down in the nursery, and it would be a little disruptive, so I wouldn't do that. But imagine, this, this child's five. Okay? This is not even a nine or ten or twelve-year-old. We're talking a four or five-year-old, a very young child. Right? He plops them down in the middle, and he says, this is greatness right here. This is it. Right? Uh, if you want to become great, you must turn and become like children. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? 
Um, well, it's interesting that he says, he uses the plural here. He says, you must turn and become like children. He doesn't say specifically you must become like this specific child or like a specific child. And uh, it's important to understand that Jesus is not saying here we need to take on characteristics of a child's behavior or thinking. He's not saying if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you need to be childish. Right? He's not saying that. He's not saying we need to be immature or particularly naive. Right? It's not a matter of innocence or even purity, which children could symbolize, or faith. Children can be very trusting. But he's not talking here about those kind of things. He says you must become like children, and he's talking about a group or class. Right? So and when you think about these hierarchies in society, he says you need to become like the status or the rank of what? Of children. Right? That's interesting in, in King uh, Dialogue's uh, chart, children didn't even rank. Right? And in Jesus' day, children wouldn't have ranked. They didn't even get a five. They didn't even get one. Right? They were the lowest. They were the bottom rank and rung of the social order. Uh, their place in society as a group, as children, is the bottom. Right? Children, and Why? Well, children are by, by nature, because of their, their smallness and their age, they, they are weak, right? weak. Um, we are, especially if you're talking about a four- or five-year-old, right? we can subdue them. <laughs> we can control them because, and make them do it well because we're bigger than them. I don't think that's how we should do it, but uh, the, the fact is uh, we dominate them in size and strength. Right? So it makes them very vulnerable uh, they're not a force to be reckoned with, right? Um, our our four-year-old, they, they may get angry at us and they may yell at us, but, and they may threaten us, but uh, it's kind of laughable, right? The little four-year-old yelling at you and it's like, <laughs> sorry, you're just no match for me. I can just sit on you and it's all over, right? I can, uh, they're weak, right? Uh, children are also uh, dependent, completely dependent on adults, especially very young children. They, they, they need us to survive. Uh, they need us to help them. Um, now, of course, when they get older, when they get to be 10, 11, 12, of course, we need them to show us how to turn on our, our smartphone <laughs> and make it work. Right? So there comes a point where that quickly changes. But little children, they're dependent on us. Um, and, and so they're, they're quite powerless in the world. Big presidential election coming up in the United States. It's significant. Neither party put forward an eight-year-old, right? They put forward two ancient dudes who are like on the verge of death, right? Because that's how it works. You don't pick young. You don't even pick 20-year-olds, right? Uh, you pick old people for some reason. Um, and, and, and children even more so. Uh, they, 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 they have no power or influence in the world. Nobody turns to them uh, to consult with them. Nobody puts in, them in charge of large corporations with billions of dollars of assets. Right? They, 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 they have no status because they have, they have nothing. <laughs> they are nothing. They, they have no power. They have no wisdom. They have no experience. Right? And they're, they're just on the bottom. And so they, they have the, the lowest rank in society. And, and they really have no voice. Uh, nobody looks to them for wisdom. 
Although it's interesting in the world we live in, things are getting turned upside down, and sometimes children are given voice, and maybe more voice than they should have. Um, but in Jesus' day, for sure, uh, that was not true. Right? So he's picturing here this group of people who are at the bottom of the social order. Right? And he says in verse 4, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is greatness. Right? In other words, whoever takes the position and status of children, this is the one who's great in the kingdom. Right? When you put yourself at the bottom, right, you're on the path to greatness. Right? And really what Jesus is saying is that the path to greatness in the kingdom is the path of not pursuing greatness at all. Right? It's the path of trying, not even trying, not even caring about it. Like it's, it's, it's off the radar for you. Um, but you take on this position and status of the least and lowest in the kingdom. Right? Uh, we're not trying to put ourselves above others. We're not trying to get in a place where we look down on anybody, anybody in the kingdom. All right, so that's the first part. The first part of it is how, who we are. We uh, in the kingdom are to be like children, meaning at the level, the status of children. But he also says this in verse, in verse uh, 5, I believe. Um, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever welcomes, whoever receives one. Uh, the second thing is, is how we relate to one another. We're to put ourselves at the bottom, but we're to see everybody else also as children at the same rank, right? At the same rank, the same level. Um, and, and we could ask this question, you know, how, how do we relate to each other? How do we interact with each other? Is the Thai author right when he said, without rank, it's difficult to carry on meaningful social interactions? Can we carry on social interactions in the church if somebody's not inferior and somebody's not superior? I think Jesus would say yes. (laughs) Yes, in fact, it's vital that that's how you relate to each other. On absolutely equal ground, level ground. Uh, so we don't look down on any, but we also don't look up to anybody. Right? We, don't, we don't come into the church and say, well, I'm at the lowest, but I'll look up to all those people who are up there above me. He says, no, you welcome each other as children. You welcome each other who are all in the same status of, of the lowest. Right? And, and we do that on the basis of one great truth, and that is that they are children because of my name. Right? It is because they are children in my name that we receive each other. Uh, our status and our position in, in the kingdom is based on our relationship to Christ. And we all are related to Christ as children through his grace. Uh, but that status is all, it's, it's equal, it's low. We look up to no one except for Jesus, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we look down to no one. Uh, in the body of Christ, uh, so so there there are no there are no heroes or superstars in the kingdom, and there's no way to get there, right? Because if you're striving for that, you just disqualified yourself, right? Your only hope is to just stay at the bottom, right? That's that's how it works for us. 
Um, so, so James warns in, in, in his, uh, his letter, don't favor the wealthy. Right? Don't, don't, don't give them benefits hoping that they'll unleash some of their cash on you. Don't do that. Paul warns the Corinthians not to fight over who's the better teacher, whether Paul or Apollos or whoever. Right? He says, we're not superstars. It doesn't work that way. Uh, there's, there should be no such thing as preacher trading cards. <laughs> like, uh, I've got Apollos. Oh, wow. Right? Uh, there should be no superstars in the church. We are not to be overly impressed with those who are, who are or who appear to be really successful. Ministries or organizations, uh, churches that are big and successful. Uh, we're, not to, we're not to be awed by that. We're not to put them on a pedestal or elevate them in any way. Uh, or those in significant positions of leadership, including pastors. They're not to be elevated. I am not to be elevated. We'll talk in a minute about how that relationship works. Uh, so what Jesus is really talking about is a certain culture of the, of the kingdom. The atmosphere or culture of the kingdom is one of incredible uh, equity, that we are all on the same level or plane. Right uh, Now, uh, there's some things that that doesn't mean. It's important to talk about these briefly. It does not mean that... Uh, uh, that just because there's nobody higher or better, it doesn't mean that there's uh, no differences between us, right? We, we are all we're all on the same ground, but it doesn't mean we're all the same, right? There are there are differences. Some people are more mature in Christ, right? They've been traveling down that road longer, and they just have more experience and more godly wisdom, and they're more mature, right? That that's true, and so. Uh, we're not taking that away. Some people are more gifted. Uh, God's just wired them with more gifts. He's, the Holy Spirit's poured out uh, more spectacular gifts or more powerful gifts upon them, and some less. Right? Scripture concedes that, that our gifting is not all equal. Uh, honestly, some are just smarter. Right? They're just smarter than me. Right? Uh, they were given five talents, some of us three talents, some two, some one, right? right? And that's just, we're not equal. And that's okay, right? And, and as a result, some are more successful. Uh, we have to be careful how we measure that, because sometimes the way the world measures success is not true success in the kingdom. But even given that, we know that on, on the day of judgment, we'll stand before God, and God's going to reward people according to the fruitfulness of their life and ministry. And some people are going to get more rewards. Some people are going to have been more successful. They're going to bear more fruit. Um, um, and there's reasons for that. Maybe they were more earnest. Maybe they were more diligent. Right? So we're not taking away that, that there's not differences. Right? Uh, secondly, we're not, taking, we're not saying that there's no such thing as leaders. Like there's a lot of move in the modern world uh, that leaders, all leaders are bad, and especially in the church, leaders are bad. And so the best church is a church with, without leaders. And, uh, but that's not true. Uh, scripture is very clear that uh, there's a place for leadership in the church. It's needed, right? Uh, P- Jesus just got done a couple chapters back uh, uh, proclaiming that Peter was going to be a significant leader as founder of the church, right? and that he would have a unique role 
as, a, as, a, as the first real leader in, in the church when he left. Paul appointed leaders and elders in every church. Uh, uh, Peter and Paul give clear instructions about the role of leaders in a church, how they're to, how they're to do it. Uh, and, and there are, are clearly, uh, there, there is authority in the church. Right? There are authority structures in the church and in the family. So this doesn't mean that because we're all equal, there's no such thing as leaders. Uh, but the point is this, maturity or giftedness or our abilities or even our success or our position in the church as a leader. None of these do anything to increase our status in the kingdom. Right? We, don't, we don't get status because we serve more. Sorry, if you, came, if you became a missionary hoping it would upgrade you in the kingdom, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it does not. Right? It just means you had to move a long way from home. That's all it means. Right? It doesn't... It doesn't mean you get elevated to some new rank or status. It doesn't mean you are more important. Uh, leaders, even Peter himself, was not greater in the church by virtue of his position. Uh, he had a unique calling and gifting. And, and Paul makes it clear that all the gifts are necessary. He uses the language of the body. He says all the members of the body are important. Like, we don't want to lose any of them. Like, did any of you get up this morning and, like, you forgot to bring your feet? It's like, I don't really need them today, I don't think, right? Um, Now, for me, I'm losing some of my members. Namely, I'm losing my hearing, right? (laughs) Um, And I'm not happy about that because people talk to me and I'm like, I can't hear you, right? It's frustrating. We need them all. Now, Paul does say that some parts are more visible and public. So preachers, you know, they have to stand up in front of everybody, and it's, it's a public thing. We exercise our gifts publicly. It does not make us better or more important. It just makes us more visible. The bad news, it makes us a, a bigger target, right? So you're going to throw things, throw stuff at the pastor because he's a large target. Paul says we need to treat actually with extra care and as more important those, that are, those, those members that are invisible, those members that are not as seen, that don't exercise and practice their gifts as publicly. Right? But Paul says, look, they're all important. They're, every member is important. We need them all. Um, all right, so, that, so that's the kind of the culture of the kingdom that Jesus lays out. Right? And, and so we, we need to adopt this, this uh, thinking. And, and Paul, uh, Jesus says it's, it's a radical turn. It won't become natural for us because we are wired to rank ourselves. We are wired to measure ourselves against other people. And we do it every day and probably in very subtle and unconscious ways. Well, I think I'm skinnier than that person. Look at how fat they are. That, 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 that moves me up. Oh, they got a better grade on the test than me. Oh, that, 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 that knocks me down a notch, right? Ooh, look at how successful that person is. Look at how successful their ministry is. Well, that upgrades them a lot right? compared to me. My ministry seems like nothing. It just seemed like a failure. Every day we are subconsciously, and, and Jesus says that should not be how we are. Right? That should not be 
anywhere in our thinking, right? We should we should be as children to each other, as children to each other. Well, how do we get there? How do, how does this work for us? How do we turn and adopt this kind of attitude and posture in our life? Uh, well. As I said, the sermon goes on, and we can't, we can't unpack all of it. And, and over the next couple of weeks, uh, we will see some of the key ways that we do this. But let's start with just this one. Um, he says in verse 5, Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. Okay, and, and the reality is that we are all children in Christ. Uh, we, we all come into the kingdom through Jesus by coming to the cross. And... Uh, Famous saying, I didn't make it up, but it's a good saying. At the foot of the cross, there is only level ground. When we come to the cross, there's no no stair steps of rank at the foot of the cross. Everybody comes uh, on equal footing for two big reasons. First of all, well, we'll say three. Three reasons. First of all, because we are all guilty. At the foot of the cross, we are all guilty. And we're not just kind of guilty like... Like, you know, in, in the criminal system, there's different levels of guilt. And uh, in the criminal system, if you do some crimes, you get a shorter sentence. You go to, to jail for a shorter time. If, you, if it's a more serious crime, you go to jail for a longer time, right? But at the foot of the cross, when we go there with our guilt, the cross is there as, as a judge and, and as salvation. And the cross is there, and it doesn't say, oh, you're guilty of, of five years' worth. At the cross... I will pay off five years of your sentence because that's all, all your guilt am- amounts to, right? Now, at the, at the cross, when we come to Jesus, when we come as sinners before him, what is the sentence we are under? Ten years, twenty years? Or life, right? See, at the cross, we are guilty of treason against the king. And not just the king of Thailand or the king of a country. We are Guilty of treason against the king of kings. Right? And, and the sentence for that is death. Right? And we all stand before the cross condemned, guilty, under a life sentence. And Jesus' blood is graciously applied to us. Right? He died on the cross to take our life sentence. He didn't hang on the cross for five minutes or ten minutes he wasn't tortured for a day or a year. He gave his life, right? And, and so the, at the cross there is, there is very level ground. We are guilty all. We under a life sentence. And it is only by God's generous grace through Christ that we are saved. Right? Jesus paid the penalty by giving up his life in place of ours as a substitute, right? And so, so there's this amazing equality at the cross. Jesus gave his life up equally for us all because our guilt was the same. Right? None of us can boast, well, I wasn't all that lost. Right? My sin wasn't all that bad. No. Right? We, we are equal there. Um, and it's only as we come as children confessing our desperate need for Christ's Work for God's grace that we can even come into the kingdom. Like if we don't come with that sense of desperate need of His forgiveness, we, we will never even come into the kingdom because we will we will declare we don't need it. Right. So it's that dependence of a child, a desperate 
need of, as a child that we come to Christ. Um, but then he goes on and he says in verse 6, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, uh, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. Well, here's a happy verse. Let's cross-stitch this and put it on our, our wall. Right? Um, happy verse, right? Well, what's the point of this? He goes on and he says, Woe to the world for, temp- for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Right? I think what Jesus is saying here is this. He says, we're also all on equal grounds, not just because our guilt when we come to Christ is the same, uh, but, but we can get this idea that, okay, well, I get it. I was, we're all guilty. We're all under death sentence, but Jesus forgave us. Now we have the chance to upgrade ourselves, right? Now I can excel because uh, that guilt's taken care of, and so now I can start over and I can I can I can I can be better than you now, right? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to I'm going to work my way up that spiritual ladder. But Jesus reminds us of a second thing: even after the cross, for the rest of our spiritual journey, we are all tempted. Right? We are all living confronting daily the same temptation to sin. And I think the point Jesus is making here is it doesn't matter how long you live, how, how much you have matured and grown in Christ, uh, how rock solid your walk with Jesus is, none of us is ever exempt from the potential disaster of giving way to, to sin. Right? And, and think about the... the the Christians, the saints who have walked with God a long, long time, the pastors who have served for many years, who crash at the end, right? Um, there's no such thing as a person who's become so godly and so spiritual, they're beyond falling into sin. And I can speak to that, right? Every day I am tempted. And every day I am just one decision away from moral failure, from, from falling uh, off and wandering away, right? And we all know that sometimes we do, right? Sometimes those temptations beat us and, and we give in to sin. So see, here's another great equalizer. <laughs> those rock star superstars that the church wants to worship and put up on a pedestal, they are all the same one second away from moral failure that any of the rest of us are. Right? Nobody is bulletproof. Nobody is Superman. Right? Superman, the, bou- the bullets just bounce off of him, right? There's no such thing as a spiritual Superman that sin and temptation just bounces off of them. Right? Okay, all the old guys say amen. See, nobody wants to admit it. Except me and April, the, old, the two old guys, right? Uh, right? Amen. We, we are never... Uh, so strong that we, we have to give up. So, uh, so, so the, the next point is that all of us uh, have to battle against sin. Right? All of us are engaged in a serious battle. And so he says, um, uh, if, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. And again, Jesus is, is he's exaggerating here. He's not telling us literally uh, we should uh, deal with sin this way. Because honestly, it wouldn't work, right? Uh, the problem is not our hand. The problem actually is our heart and our brain. And if we cut our brain off and throw it away, um, well, life just doesn't work so well then, right? 
We need it. Um, but he's, he's, he's making a point here that we must deal seriously with sin. Right? We need to take this super seriously. And we're all in this battle together. Right? We're all little children. Uh, none of us are all that strong. We are all weak. We are all vulnerable to sin and temptation. And we need to be aggressively dealing with sin in our life. Right? And, and so that puts us all uh, at the same place. Right? Yet there are differences. Uh, some of us have done it longer, and so maybe we're getting a little better at it. But we're, we're all in the same place. We're all in the same struggle. We are all in the same battle. Right? And, and our, our hope and our strength is not how hard we try or how successful I can be in overcoming sin. Right? How much I read the Bible and it's going to make me you know, impervious to sin. No, what is our help? Well, it's again, it's, it's, it's the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus broke the power of sin. When he died, he broke the power of sin for us. And it's as we are crucified with Christ, as we die with him, we, uh, sin loses its power over us. Right? Um, next week, we're going to, we don't have time to look today. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the kids need caring for Right, and there is a place, and we'll talk about that next week, of how we, how we help each other. Let me just close with this last thought. Um, uh, and, so, and so we'll come back to the whole uh, millstone necklace and dropping into the sea. We'll come back to that one. Um, but but here, here's how we can uh, think about this. Uh, there should be no comparing ourselves with others, Right? We should not be thinking about, do we look up to them or do we look down to them? And it doesn't matter the culture. Right? If you're Thai, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, it, it can't be part of the church. I don't care if it's a Thai church or a, a Korean church or an Asian church or an American church. Right? Je- Jesus says, this cannot be. You can't be in the kingdom if you have this attitude. Right? We have got to turn away. And it means we need to stop comparing ourselves and measuring our, uh, ourselves against others. Right? Surely this is a huge source of strife and conflict in the church. And I think in the world too. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that this has worked real well for Thai society. And those protests and, and boiling revolutions, I think they would make a case for it. Right? People don't like being a five when somebody else is a 100,000. Right? It doesn't work. Uh, it may be comfortable in Asian cultures, but it's not helpful. Right? But we as the church need to model this. Right? We as the church need to show how this works. That we don't compare each other. There, there's no competing against each other. And the thing is, if, if, uh, if I have more keys at the Bible camp right, than somebody else, it doesn't make me better. Uh, it just means I have, I have access to more doors. It does not make me better. Right? Success does not make me better. It does not change our status. So here's the thing. If it doesn't change somebody's status, instead of comparing myself with them, I can actually uh, rejoice with them. I can celebrate them when they're successful. Right? We as believers ought to get behind people who are successful and say, that is wonderful, and not be threatened by it. Right? 
and, 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 and give uh, gratitude and, and applause to those who, who do it better than us. Right? Somebody preaches better than me. I should be back there going, praise God, somebody can preach better than me because I'm not that great. We need better preachers, right? Praise God that there's better, right? Uh, there's a better church that does it better than ours. Praise God for that. Let's celebrate that. Um, and we shouldn't be dividing into groups based on, on what Christian heroes they pledge allegiance to. Right? And we do that. We do that. Um, we're not competing and we're not competing against others. It's not, it's not about who wins. Um, it's not measuring up, but it's appreciating and, and valuing those differences. Right? We should value people who are a different part of the body. Praise God we're not all noses, not all hands. Right? We need to appreciate and value those who have different giftings. And we should, uh, we should find ways to show that appreciation not just to the public ones, not just to the preachers, to everybody, right? Everybody's valued. Um, uh, we, we, don't, we don't show favoritism to wealthy because we hope that they'll support us. We hope that they'll give more to the church. We hope that they'll stay in our church and, and give big offerings, right? It shouldn't work that way, right? Um, but we should show gratitude for those who serve well. We should thank them. We should appreciate those who are faithful in their service, regardless of the position. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.